The Kentucky Derby was this weekend, and Rich Strike won the race in a total shocker, honestly. And this is a horse that was like, I think it was like scheduled to be turned into glue like two weeks ago, and now has won the Kentucky Derby. So congratulations to the team uh, behind Rich Strike. Also, congratulations to Shannon Bream. Our friend Shannon Bream tweeted this. I might have a heart attack. We did a what the heck bet on Rich Strike, and he just won the Kentucky Derby. Yes. Gosh, that's such a great feeling. Gambling. Like 99% of the time sucks. And then that one time brings you back over and over and over again. Some people call it addiction. Um, but it was an 80 to one shot, 80 to one. This just like doesn't happen in races like this. Um, to kind of give you a sense, to put 80 to one into perspective, I'd say it's about 80 to one that Joe Biden will avoid gaffing us into World War III. Uh, it's like 80 to one that Nancy Pelosi will go a week without facial surgery. Um, and it's like 80 to 1 that Kamala Harris will get through a sentence without making all of us want to kill ourselves. Stu does America. BlazeTV.com slash Stu is the place to go. Use the promo code Stu. Get 10 bucks off your subscription. The U.S. is walking a very fine line on Russia and Ukraine when it comes to our intelligence departments. We'll get into that today. Got a crazy story of corruption out of the U.N. that you probably have not heard. But we start by doing the attack on SCOTUS. Yes, the Supreme Court is under attack, and it's a very, very strange time to be together. I mean, look, if Wordle wasn't weird enough for you, I don't know what is. Wordle is this game. Have you, have you noticed people playing it? I've never played it in my life, but it seems to be a game where you're guessing a five-letter word every day, and everyone's kind of guessing the same word. So, because you don't want to give the word away, everyone just tweets these uh, collection of different colored squares. And I don't know what any of them mean. Everyone seems to know what they mean except me. I'm way too stubborn to learn what they mean. But basically, that's what you're doing. You're doing a five-letter word. And they have, there's a whole collection of words it could be. People guess them on a daily basis. However, the New York Times has dropped fetus as one of the words. Why? Well, they want to keep the game distinct from the news. And as you know, fetus, very divisive issue. I'm thinking they can use a lot of other words that are five letters when it comes for the New York Times. They bought Wordle. They can use any of these words. These words are like very, very, very close to the hearts of all New York Times employees. Hacks, uh, lousy, false, dummy, dense, inept, liars, Cheat, dirty, fraud, fools, nasty, dopey, crook, and of course, anything with New York would be incomplete if we didn't use the word awful. Mm -hmm. So the New York Times doesn't like fetus, but they've got all those other options, so don't worry about it. Wordle shall continue. Um, I'm kind of interested in the approach here from the White House as we look at the response to the Supreme Court leaked ruling, which I will remind you is not an actual ruling, it is not official, and we don't know what the hell is going to happen. But they're very worried about what might happen. They might not be able to kill their kids. I mean, can you, all the stress that comes along with not being able to kill your children, it is really, really strenuous. Um, now, one of the things that was interesting was very early on, uh, in fact, I believe it was Thursday or Friday, uh, Jen Psaki was asked, Hey, you know, we're thinking that the crazy people on your side are going to go to the Supreme Court justices' houses and harass them. And can you at least denounce that? Can you say 
hey, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. She wouldn't denounce it initially. Initially, she was just like she, you know, did her typical circle back thing and didn't answer the question as she usually does. Uh, However, we saw a little bit of that happening over the weekend. And Jen Psaki did finally tweet this. POTUS strongly believes in the constitutional right to protest, but that should never include violence, threats or vandalism. Judges perform an incredibly important function in our society, and they must be able to do their jobs without concern for their personal safety. Of course, we, as we all know, when you're on the left and you're doing these things and you know, you're on the left, you usually get a, a mostly peaceful tag. Uh, to your violence, to your vandalism. It's mostly peaceful violence. It's mostly peaceful vandalism. As the one, the great Chris Cuomo once told us, whoever said it had to be peaceful? Where have you ever seen it written down inside of like old timey script on old like wrinkled paper from back in the day where they said peaceful? I've never seen it before. Now, of course, Chris Cuomo doesn't know anything about anything, so it's not surprising he hadn't seen it before, but that's pretty central to the way our civilization operates. You're supposed to be able to discuss difficult issues without killing each other. That is a sort of baseline expectation of you as a citizen. I'm somehow able to hit that standard every day. It's weird, I don't know how I do it. Maybe it's just luck, maybe I'm just special. You know, maybe maybe you're just special. Maybe you sit home every day and you say, I'm really passionate about this issue, but I'm not gonna blow anything up today. And that might make you unique. It might make you exceptional. I tend to think that the everyday American is able to do this quite easily. But the people on the left, whether it's Antifa or whether it's some uh, uh, anti-life advocate, uh, to put it in those terms, whatever that person is, they don't seem to be able to do it very well. Uh, Here is a new story that came out over the weekend. Molotov cocktail damages Wisconsin conservative groups Madison offices. Now, this is the the, uh, graffiti that was outside. It says, if abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either. The reaction to that one was kind of funny because they said, hey, uh, it was written in cursive. And, you know, people who are pro-choice don't write in cursive. Now, to say that some of the people who are pro-choice advocates are incapable of writing the English language, that's a fair, that's a fair point. Many of them cannot. However, I don't know if cursive is, is, is a real thing. Are they, do they, did they abort cursive? Did I miss that? Announcement? It's possible. Um, this is also, uh, they also threw a Molotov cocktail through the window and lit the offices on fire. Here's what that looked like. Wonderful, wonderful people. Now they try to say, okay, well, what if it was a right-wing activist? And look, that does happen from time to time. It is very, very rare on the right. It happens all the time on the left. If you have ever seen a story about a receipt and the receipt says, I'm not giving you any tip because I don't, I'm judging your lifestyle. That is always, uh, always a hoax. In 100% of studied cases, that is a hoax. It never happens, especially on a credit card receipt with your name on it. Nobody does this, okay? It's always fake. This stuff happens all the time. Hate crime hoaxes are constantly faked in colleges. The left wing knows the power of this type of of the victim uh, culture. And so they will attempt to turn themselves into a victim all the time. Now, I'm not going to say that that never has happened on the right. I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but I'm sure it's happened. And look, if this was a right wing activist faking violence against a pro-life center, they should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Full stop. 
I don't care if you're trying. I don't care if you're making a point that I agree with. When you commit violence, you should be prosecuted to the fullest event, uh, extent of the law. When you have property damage, you should be uh, prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. See how this works. See how this works, liberals. When cities get burned down, you say they should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. And you might say, oh, well, what about January 6th? I don't see you saying anything about that, Stu. Guess what? Anyone in there committing violence or property damage should be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. I saw people in the videos hitting cops in the head with giant pipes. Put those people away. Totally fine with it. I don't have a double standard here. This is easy for me. Again, easy for me to not commit violence on the points that I'm passionate about and easy for me to judge people with an equal standard. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I don't know why the right's able to do it and the left isn't. Maybe because they're not being uh, truthful. Maybe it's because they're not being morally consistent. Maybe because they know when they get in these situations, they just say whatever they need to say at that given moment. And they don't care about being consistent. Well, I do. And I don't care if it puts me at a disadvantage. I'm going to still keep doing it because it matters to me. Here is a crisis pregnancy center in Portland. Now, to be fair about this one, every building in Portland looks like this. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know. Is it, maybe was it targeted because it was a pregnancy center? Probably. But I'm not. It's there's. There's a part of me who thinks they were just breaking windows because that's what they do in Portland. But that is another one uh, in just the last couple of days. And this is going to keep happening. Remember, this hasn't even occurred yet. It was a leak of a draft. What happens when this is official? These people are going to go insane. And by the way, in both of those places, both Wisconsin uh, and Wisconsin, a little bit less uh, sure about this one. But Portland, certainly Oregon will have the most liberal abortion laws in the world when this is over. So I wouldn't be too worried about it, Portland. You're going to be able to kill as many kids as you like. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? Um, Now, of course, this is extended not just to pregnancy centers, not just to um, pro-life operations. It's also now going to the Supreme Court Justice's house. Let's go to Brett Kavanaugh's house, shall we, and see how that looked this weekend. No, that's wonderful, wonderful stuff. Did you notice what's missing there? Did you notice what was missing? Safe and legal. Whatever happened to rare? Remember rare? This is the old Bill Clinton construct of abortion talk. He was just as pro-abortion as any of them, but he was smart enough to realize that that's what the American people basically want safe, legal and rare. And when I say rare, they want it to be an option in extreme circumstances. They want it to be, you know, the the average American looks at abortion as this is not my position, but this is the average American's position uh, as a, a necessary evil in very limited circumstances. That's how they look at it. Yeah, you know, uh, God, rape, incest, uh, life of the mother, health of the mother, you know, uh, some 16-year-old gets pregnant and she shouldn't be, blah, blah, blah. Again, not my position, but that is the position of the average American. They look at it as sort of a last resort for a a night gone wrong, but should be absolutely done very early. And most abortions are done early. It's the psychotic Democrats who are saying they want it to be in the ninth month of pregnancy. They also went to John Roberts' house. And I'm, I'm... Hmm. How do I state the stupidity 
associated with going to John Roberts' house to protest this decision. First of all, he's not actually signed on to the majority, at least as far as we know. The draft came out. Roberts was not on it. We knew three of them, three of the justices on the left were against overturning Roe versus Wade. Five conservatives were for it. And then there's John Roberts, who was basically uncommitted. And the every piece of reporting about this says that John Roberts is trying to craft a third way. How he would do that is to say, well, we'll limit it to uh, 15 weeks, let the Mississippi thing go through, but we'll keep Roe versus Wade intact. Not because they agree with it, but because they see the writing on the wall. The three liberals go along with him. That gives you four. So four are for this sort of secondary, we'll weaken Roe, but not overturn it decision. And then Roberts goes to the right and says, hey, Brett Kavanaugh, hey, uh, Neil Gorsuch, hey, Amy Coney Barrett, Hey, Clarence Thomas. Hey, well, not Samuel Alito. I don't think he's going to come. And I know Thomas isn't, so don't waste your breath with those two. But probably Brett Kavanaugh is the most likely one. And you'd come to him and you'd say, hey, come over with me. We'll we'll weaken Roe, which is the right thing, and we won't overturn it and turn this country upside down. He's the one trying to craft that. Okay, he's the he's your savior here. So instead of realizing that they go to his house and yell at him and harass him. Watch. Look, I'm a guy. I love the sound of a woman's voice. I really do. But there's something about that protest screech that is like a hot spike driven through the male ear. I don't know what it is. Maybe that is the sound of every time you've done something wrong and are being harassed for not taking the garbage out. I don't know what it is, but that tone is like I would, if I were pro-choice and on the Supreme Court, and I heard people out there on my lawn screeching like that, I would, I would switch my vote just to annoy them. That is, that is how irritating that sound is. Just saying, throwing that out there. That has nothing to do with abortion, by the way. We should not abort people who have those voices. I'm just saying it's annoying. Um, now, you see what the left is trying to do with this, and this is really, really interesting, and maybe we go into this more in depth uh, later this week, but... We were approaching an election where Joe Biden had absolutely nothing to run on. And Joe Biden and the Democratic Party, a midterm election where they failed on the border, they failed in Afghanistan, they failed in, uh, w- with the economy, they failed on COVID, they failed on um, uh, inflation, they've failed everywhere. Everything they've touched has been a catastrophe. They failed on spending. They haven't been able to get their priorities through. They have literally failed on everything. Nothing to run on. Abortion comes along, and and they see that. The left sees this as this big savior, and I want to get to that in a second. However, I will say, in, in this particular way, it's very, very good that this has come along at this time because if they embrace this as their thing to run on going into the midterms, that's better than their other option. Their other option, the only thing, that Joe Biden has halfway decent approval ratings on right now is the war in Ukraine. And 
we do not want Joe Biden to have it in his head to say, hey, this Ukraine thing's working for me. I should keep going on this because everything I'm doing is so popular. Yes, the American people support Ukraine uh, against Russia. However, the more Joe Biden sees this as a political issue, the more it could escalate. I hope they embrace the abortion side of that. But so let's say they go to the abortion side of it. They see this as some big uniting issue, and it may very well be that they just think, look, this election is toast. We need to get our our base out no matter what. Let's just get up. Let's push as hard as we absolutely can. Okay, that's that's a that's a that's one way to go. But I want to I want to show you what the left is actually doing. You tell me if this is going to work when it comes to election time. Here is a protest inside a Catholic mass. Red robes are out. They're interrupting the service. They've got the dumb hoods on. They're making signs. They're being removed from the mass. Interrupting church services. And some some these poor people just trying to torture and being interrupted by this by this nonsense in a you know, Catholic church, which they are definitely pro-life uh, overall. Someone, I can't remember who it was, but a political consultant tweeted this today, and I think he's completely right, which is if you could design a better ad for Republicans to get uh, conservative Hispanic voters out to vote. I can't think of a better way to do it than to say, hey, look, these people hate your faith. They hate it. They are going to go and interrupt it to protect their right, perceived right, to kill children. Uh, This is not a good political move, I will say that. But this is what the left is. It's hard to remember this sometimes because you probably know Democrats in your life that are you know, relatively normal people. Like they're, they, you might disagree with them and stuff, but you know, when you talk to them, they're totally cool. I mean, I have family members, I have friends who are on the left, further left than me, and they might disagree even on this issue, but you can talk to them about it and they're relatively sensible. But the left is built on people like Maxine Waters, who's insane. This is an insane person. I want to bring you back to uh, the way she treated the Trump administration when they were in office and how the left, this is how the left thinks about these things. This is how the left thinks. They want to, they want to ruin your life if you don't agree with them. Here's Maxine from back in the day. You have members of your cabinet uh, that have been booed out of restaurants. Who have protesters taking up at their house. No peace, no sleep. Let's make sure we show up wherever we have to show up. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. Again, this is insane behavior. It's not civilization behavior. But people, a lot of people have seen that Maxine Waters clip. Let me give you a clip from Chuck Schumer that is resurfacing. This is from 2020, but it certainly applies to what's going on today. Here's Chuckles. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you Mm. if you 
go forward with these awful decisions. Remember the day when they were criticizing Sarah Palin for saying we were targeting a district? I mean, this this activity is way, way past that. And of course, the left is not going to mention it. And the media is not going to cover it. It's up to us to make sure that everybody knows about it because they should. Look, the truth is we shouldn't be surprised. People who live their lives with seemingly one goal to end the lives of children should be expected to turn to violence. This is what the whole movement is about. Property destruction, intimidation, harassment of children and families. All these things are illegal and terrible. And it's fair to say that most abortion advocates are not engaging in those activities. But what they are advocating for is far worse than a Molotov cocktail through a window or a protest in the suburbs. The thing they are advocating for is 63 million people who should be here today and instead are not. Time will tell if Roe is actually overturned or not. I remind you, this has not actually happened yet and may not happen at all. And if the rug gets pulled out of the pro-life movement after this, it will fight on. It's going to be absolutely devastating, though. I can assure you of that. Not quite as devastating as the word fetus being removed from Wordle, but almost. It feels like you need a degree in grapes to find a great wine. Uh, you can shop by label. What's all? Oh, that's very nice writing. Look at the color choices they've made on that label. I guess you can do that. You could try to remember what tannins are. I mean, I don't even know what they are. Who knows? I'm just be guessing. Shouldn't it be easier? That's why First Leaf exists. They do the hard work for you. They make sure that it's easy for you to discover new wines without the sort of hit or miss process you might be used to. First Leaf samples over 10,000 wines a year, which sounds like a really fun job. Uh, but it's wines from around the world. It, they select only the finest bottles. They take the time to learn what you like and what you don't. And then they send you world-class wines tailored to your taste. I will tell you, my wife's taste is sweet. She likes sweet wines. She loves a good Moscato. She loves a good sweet Riesling. Uh, she, you put this into their little algorithm there. They start giving you all sorts of options. Some of them are right in your wheelhouse. Some of them a little bit, you know, maybe a little bit outside of it, but something that you might really like that's associated uh, with the type of wine that you typically drink. Uh, if you're not happy with the wine you receive, First Leaf will credit you with another. It doesn't get any simpler than this, and you can sign up today. You'll get six bottles for $29.95 plus free shipping. If you go to tryfirstleaf.com slash stew, T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F.com, tryfirstleaf.com slash stew. You'll get your first six bottles for $29.95 plus free shipping. It's tryfirstleaf.com slash stew. Check it out. Joining me once again is Jason Buttrell. He's the head writer and researcher for Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck TV, as you may know, is here on Blaze TV. You can subscribe at blazetv.com slash stew. Promo code is stew to save 10 bucks. Jason, how's it going? Good. So uh, we had the big Russian parade. Yeah. Uh, big, uh, you know, victory day parade. And I don't know, it seemed like everyone was predicting some either major announcement, major new uh, you know, war uh, act of some sort, a nuclear bomb to go off. Uh, nothing seemed to happen, though. And I kind of felt like I was in the minority on this a lot because, I mean, some of the predictions were pretty crazy, like a full fledged mobilization, declaring war, full-fledged mobilization, yeah. and then pushing pushing with all this, you know, military equipment straight through to Western Ukraine. And just tackling that, I was like, 
they have to have it first to use it. <laughs> right. And what they've used so far is pretty much all been destroyed. Mm. Um, what they have used to even get their tanks and stuff into, uh, into the country, they had to use precision-guided bombs uh, to bomb strategic locations in Ukraine in the very opening days of the war. And now they're running out of those. Mm. So they're very limited in what they can do on this. And the only other thing that they could, you know, I guess a doomsday scenario that he could have announced today would have been... I don't know, maybe pushing towards more nuclear rhetoric, but... He didn't even do that. He didn't do that. And, uh, you know, during the Cuban Missile Crisis, I think it kind of exposed a big thing about nuclear weapons, and that is no side is willing to use them. Um, Which is why they're awesome. Well, we, right. I mean, it's, it's why they're great. It's the weapon that will never be used again. I hope so. Hopefully, hope unless there's... The only, the only threat from a nuclear, you know, nation would be like a rogue nation like Iran or North Korea. Yeah. I think those are real threats, but actual... I'm not going to call Russia responsible, but what it's supposed to be, te- you know, technically responsible yeah. nuclear nations, oh. they're never going to use them. I, I mean, that's uh, I would have been I was more confident on that a few months ago than I am now. But still, I don't feel like that's right around the horizon. They are talking a lot of trash, which is yeah. is concerning. Well, they do. It's yeah, that's what they do though. But that's OK. Trash is uh, talking trash is talking trash and we can get over that. Let me ask you a dumb let me ask you a dumb question. This is what we do here. We ask <laughs> dumb questions of smart people. So let me ask you this. The, the Russians have on paper like a million or two people in their armed forces. They have what we think are about 200,000, 250,000 they've used here. Why, why not up that? Why not go to 500,000 and use un, uh, you know, overwhelming force to go down to go uh, to just overwhelm the Ukrainian army? Should, I mean, is it just a question of um, uh, of equipment? What's the, why, why won't they go bigger? I, th- I think I think there's a few a few reasons. So one, they can't call this a what they call it a special, special military, military operation. Yeah. Yes, yeah. they can't continue to call it that with full mobilization of the entire you know mm-hmm. Russian military to bear. But I mean, they lie to their people all the time. Sure. Right, right. They could just say it's I mean, it, and what does it even matter at this point? I mean, it, yes, they started with this special military operation thing. It would be impossible to really keep that up. But I don't think the I, I doubt the Russian people really buy that at this point. Right. And but it also elevates the game internationally, too. Mm. So if you formally declare war on a country, then that country can look into getting allies. You, you mm-hmm. get other you know, it's, it, it ups the ante big time in, in a situation like this. Um, plus, I mean, what are you going to mobilize all these troops for if you really don't even know how to deploy them? Mm. And that's one of the big things that's been kind of a shocker for Russia. And let's take, for instance, the, the victory, per, uh, victory parade today. Now, in the past, going back years and years and years and years, it's always been used as this big, hey, um, look at all this awesome military equipment we have. We are leading in, yeah. you know, you know hypersonic missiles, hypersonic yeah. missiles, yeah. which didn't turn out to be, actually be a hypersonic <laughs> right. missile. See, that's the problem. And that 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 exposed itself on that. But uh, one of their most advanced supposed to kill them all uh, tanks, T-90 tank. Uh, we've seen pictures of them destroyed mm. in, in Ukraine. Um, and they don't have a lot of those. Um, other uh, weapons that they've shown at some of these parades, we haven't even seen them in operation. We haven't even seen them rolling through the country at all, which kind of exposes everything to be a big lie. Now, that is what we're seeing about the Russian military. It's a big lie. Yeah, I mean, because it seems consistent with the idea that they believed uh, uh, that either Zelensky would flee and the country would collapse or the people would embrace them as liberators. Yeah. It's very, I think it's very possible they believed that at the beginning. And now that they're sort of changing tactics and moving the lines, you, 
you know that Vladimir Putin can't take a, a loss here, right? He can't. So how does this end? It, does it end? Yes, uh, it, it does end. Um, I think that uh, this is my most probable scenario on this. Okay. And there's, it's, I, I hate predicting because it's impossible to know. We won't hold you, know. you to it. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> I mean, I think the most plausible outcome in this is that if Putin is removed in some way. Mm. Now, Putin, yeah, he, he can't accept a defeat here. He's, I mean, his entire image is the guy riding on a bear, bear chest, uh, bear chested, <laughs> yeah, right? Right, right, right. You know, like, oh, there he is again. You know, he's doing judo. That's what he does, you know, and kicks all the people's butts. Right. You know, he's scuba diving with Navy SEAL, their version of Navy SEAL. He cannot be the non-strong man in the right. country. And Russia probably needs a strong man no matter what. Probably always just going to have a leader like Vladimir Putin. Nothing changes. That's yeah. one of the things here. Nothing is going to change in Russia if, when, or if he is deposed. It does seem, though, that we could at least get a, a, a break, right? Like, we, we could set the time scale back a few years and hope for things to change and improve in some way, or at least just give us some breathing room to figure out. And I think Europe is finally convinced, yeah, we better protect ourselves against these guys, because they will roll right through this continent. Eventually, one leader is going to try it, and we better be prepared for it. Yes, we better be prepared for it and not rely on an old, outdated alliance structure like mm. NATO. Yeah. You, now, there I said it. I yeah. might have branded this show and your entire show as, I don't know, who the heck knows nowadays. Yeah. But um, no, it's, it's old and outdated. It, it really is. And yeah. you, you've been you, you've talked about you're, you're you've never been a big as long as I've known you, at least never been a big NATO guy. But like what because I mean, what the real risk here to me is that Russia decides they're going to go farther. They decide to maybe let's just say they hit Poland. Then we're in the middle of this thing, yeah. you know, because of NATO. So is your idea that we should be out of this because if they hit Poland, we should have hands off or should we still be helping allies like Poland? Well, yes. And a little bit more to that. So, I mean, World War One was a good example of how old and outdated alliance structures can draw a lot of people into a, into a, into a greater, larger yeah. conflict. Blows it up. And sure, sure. Sure. That is true. Um, there's a lot of countries right now that we're allies with through NATO that we have no reason being allied with. Turkey, Turkey, yeah. Turkey. I mean, what? Yeah. I mean, they could start a war with anybody in that region. We would be if they got attacked, we would be obligated to come to their rescue, mm. which is stupid. It's ridiculous. Um, but I, I think that it's it's way past time for us to move beyond the Cold War era. Um, we have, I mean, look at Afghanistan, right? I remember I was deployed in Afghanistan. I remember seeing some of our allies there and some of our allies not there. And then we'd hear on the news, like, oh, so-and-so is not going to, I think it was France, or I can't remember who it was, that weren't willing to jump into bed with it. We were like, are you kidding me? What's the point of all this? And I guess my point of all this is that, you know, interests have changed. Mm. Um, what's good for France or Germany or whatever doesn't mean that it's good for us. It was back then because mm-hmm. we were fighting, you know, inner global international communism. Yep. We all were united against that. Now that doesn't exist anymore. So it just doesn't make sense. There is going to be a time when Germany is like, hey, I, I, I kind of agree more with what Russia's doing. Or, or me or Germany and France are like, but we're hey, trying to prevent that, though. right? That's, oh, that's what this alliance is trying to prevent is that they don't drift over to Russia. Right. But we don't necessarily turn. You know, if, if this thing were to go away, the point is not that we'd make these countries into enemies. It's just we wouldn't be required right. to defend them at every we turn. We still consider them friends. Yeah. Now, friendly and friendship does not mean mutual interests on things. Right, right. That's why I'm against NATO. Mm-hmm. I, I don't agree with it. And I definitely don't agree with, um, you know, there's some countries now that are because of the Russian threat are like, hey, Sweden, Finland. Now we're going to join NATO. So basically you're doing exactly the same thing that the Russians said that they were, you know, getting pissed off about. Mm. Let me let me move on to something that really does concern me in a major way, which is 
I think there's a there's a dance that goes on with these things where we are obviously adversaries with Russia and there is and we've been for a very long time. We see a, a war break out in Ukraine. Our, I believe our interests are still, the, you know, at, at some level uh, at, uh, in effect with Russia expanding. And I, I don't want them to do that. Uh, you could see how that could go badly for us, especially with NATO in existence. So I can understand why we would support Ukraine in some ways. I can understand why we might sell them weapons. Right. It's not. There's no specific reason we couldn't, and they need them, and I can understand that. I can understand how we'd be supportive in certain ways. I don't understand why we would announce it. I don't know why we'd tell anybody, right? But I re- we've now crossed beyond that line. We've crossed to a, a line where we are providing intelligence to Ukrainians to target individual people in the Russian military, as, as reported by The New York Times. We are um, giving them all sorts of intelligence about troop movements. There was reports about us being the, 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 um, the reason that we were, they were able to sink this, like, you know, uh, this, the ship that they had, one of their Navy's top ships. All this stuff going on, and we're so involved. I keep thinking about this: how we would look at this if this were the if if there was a war going on. Uh, we were, you know, we invaded Mexico for some reason, and then we started getting reports that Russia was supplying intelligence to knock out our generals during this conflict. We would not react well to that, and this is a really tough line for the Rush for the Amer- Americans to be walking, and we have dolts like Joe Biden and Kamala Harris trying to walk it. This really does terrify me. Sure, and it's, it's the equivalent of, I mean, announcing that we're doing this is the equivalent of just spiking the football on them. Mm. Um, we've done this forever. Russia has done this against us forever. We've done this against them for forever. Um, I always use the example of the Vietnam War. Um, you know, we got into the Vietnam War and the Soviet Union provided pretty much no, not pretty much all of their surface-to-air missile capability. Mm. Our pilots had never up to that point never encountered surface-to-air missiles. You know, this wow. was right after World War II. Mm. Then we were getting shot down. Um, I think all in all, we lost 2,000 uh, airplanes in, uh, in the Vietnam War. And that's all because the Soviet Union did that to us. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head the amount of people that were killed, but those were all Russian, so, you know, or Soviet Union-supplied armaments. Mm-hmm. Um, Vladimir Putin was there when this was happening. Um, he knows all about this. Uh, other Cold War battles operated the same way. Um, Afghanistan. Uh, Afghanistan. Yeah, we, we supplied the, you know, the Taliban and, yep. and what wound up being al-Qaeda, essentially, with, with defenses to try to push them out. And, and, and intelligence specifically, uh, I read a book not too long ago talking about just how, you know, a lot of our uh, uh, bombers would fly over, you know, you know, over the South China Sea, places like the Philippines mm. and places like that. Um, but Russia specifically positioned one of their fleets out there with their intelligence, uh, you know, arrays all uh, point in that direction just to tell the, uh, the Vietnamese when we were coming over, you know, the proselyte trajectories we were going. They did the same thing to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't have a problem with what we're doing in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I kind of have a problem with the amount of money that we're spending when we could be diverting that elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I've got no problem whatsoever with uh, uh, providing them some things like service air missile right. capability, mm-hmm. um, things like that, uh, anti-tank weapons, stuff like that. That's 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 good. There's got to be a, a, at one point. There's got to be a you know a, a, a level where we say, okay, enough is enough. Yes, and, and it, it's got to be capped. But like we're bragging about 
$800 million going yeah. uh, to Ukraine. See, that's not good. That, well, shouldn't we just, shouldn't that come out in a congressional report two years from now? Like, yeah. why, After it's over. Yeah, why are we going to the media? Why is Joe Biden doing press conferences announcing this? I mean, again, I don't, I don't, I don't consider Vladimir Putin to be a highly, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, a guy who has like a, a real I, th- I feel like he's across the line uh, to uh, act erratically. He's no longer, I think, a trusted uh, adversary even. You know what I mean? You have that. You have certain people that you understand the rules you're against. He's he maybe crossed the line here, but still like he's going to be able to take this to his people and say, hey, you saw the president of the United States say he wanted regime change. You saw it. You saw him say that we were, that, you know, that they were sending uh, all this money and everything over there. You've seen the reports of them targeting our individual generals, killing your kids, talking to the Russian people. Yeah. This is not something that, I mean, he can justify pretty much anything off of this. And, and, that's, and that's, that's one of the precedents that has been set now or broken is that um, during the Cold War, look at, look at that again, uh, when there was these proxy battles that were fi- taking place, it was never u- used for the leader in one country as a political tool. Hmm. And that's basically what Biden and the administ- his administration is doing right now. They're playing, on, they're playing along the lines of the old rules with fighting another country um, by providing intelligence equipment and all that stuff for a you know, outcome they want to see. But the difference is, is they're standing then in front of the country and just bragging about everything they're doing. Mm. That was not done in the Cold War, at least not to this level. Yeah. And it's it's that kind of shows you the, the danger of the I, th- I think it shows weakness from the Biden administration right now. Uh, they see how badly they're doing in the country, poll numbers and everything. People don't like what they're doing and they're blaming him for pretty much everything, which they should. It's going uh, you know, wrong with the country right now. And he's using what they're doing, fighting an adversary through a proxy war, as a political tool. And yes, that, that is extremely dangerous. dangerous. It's a dangerous line to walk. I think at this point, the only thing that can heal the rift between the United States and Russia is another Rocky sequel. Uh, without it. Yes. I, toast. Com- I completely agree. Okay. Sylvester Stallone, you heard it. <laughs> Get on it. Uh, Jason Buttrell, head writer and researcher for Glenn Beck. Uh, you can follow him on the Twitters. Make sure you do so. Thanks for coming on the program. Appreciate it. You bet. We need a Rocky Four Part Two. But we already got that kind of because they rebooted it. So now we need a Rocky Four Part 3. I'm just throwing that out there to Sylvester Stallone if he wants the idea. Uh, let me talk to you about a s- cryptocurrency. Look, you might say to yourself, hey, there's been some uh, bumps in the market today. Um, and the last week or two has been pretty rough for cryptocurrency. And this has happened before. If you've been involved in crypto, you know that there are nice ups and some downs. Those ups usually wipe out the downs by a large margin and usually... Usually, as my friend Jason Buttrell, who is here, uh, uh, who is uh, I've been a big Dogecoin fan <laughs> over the years, uh, and Bitcoin. You've been in this pretty early. Oh yeah. These ups and downs can be scary, but every time when the ups come again, you're like, why didn't I think about buying when I saw that when, when the bubble burst for a couple of days? We're here in that part point, aren't we? Doesn't it feel like that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Buy the dip. Buy the and dip. You'll be happy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's the way it works. That's the way it works. All right. So if you've never bought Bitcoin before, it's not too late. I was looking at a stat the other day that Bitcoin adoption is like the internet adoption in like 1998. That's where we are right now. You are not too late for this. Do your own research. Make sure you understand it and sign up for Tika Tawari's Palm Beach Litter. This is a guy who came on in 2016 and said this is going to be big and then came back on after the bubble burst and said it's going to come back to 40,000. We've seen those numbers uh, really recently. Palm Beach Letter is the is the uh, is the uh, newsletter to check out. It's at BigTReport.com. BigTReport.com.
I want to read uh, to you directly from the New York Times. At the United Nations, two officials had a problem. The little-known agency they ran found itself with an extra $61 million, and they didn't know what to do with it. How many times has that happened to you? Every other week. I, just, I was going through the car this weekend. Kids were back there. Wrappers from Cheetos. There's Twinkies all over the place. And then $61 million on the floor. What am I going to do with it? I don't know what to do with it. Um, uh, so they got the $61 million. They didn't know what to do with it. And then they met a man at a party. Now they have $25 million less. In between was a baffling series of financial decisions in which experienced diplomats entrusted tens of millions of dollars, the agency's entire investment portfolio at the time, to a British businessman after meeting him at a party. They also gave his daughter $3 million to produce a pop song, a video game, and a website promoting awareness of environmental threats to the world's oceans. Quote, things did not go well. Who would have seen this one coming? This is your government in action. And, uh, and this is the United Nations, but it's the same thing throughout our government as well, of course. Uh, it was Joss Stone, by the way, the artist who actually recorded a song like, hey, oceans are good. We should make them still be there and wet. I think that was the name of the song, but uh, it's been produced and now they lost all of this money. But luckily they saved the oceans. Well, let's say you have an extra $61 million uh, laying around. You don't know what to do with it. Hmm. What are you going to do with it? There are big time conversations happening in the financial world right now about the economy. What is going on right now? Goldman Sachs uh, is talking about it. Tesla is talking about it. The Fortune 500 co company that was not named uh, said inflation is a very real and uh, uh, risk. And the Fed is already very late. Goldman Sachs wrote, uh, we have also seen an increased risk of stagflation. A lot of this stuff is going on. The economy is under pressure. You know that. Um, and it is something that is going on in a big way. And you need to do something a little different, I think, maybe at least to consider as we go through these tough times. Um, there is a, a new asset class, and we've talked about it before. It's the world of fine art. It has outpaced the S&P 500 about twice uh, over 1995 to 2021. It outperformed... Uh, during the pandemic as well. Uh, so it is time to check this out. If you want to check out an alternative asset class with real promise, go to masterworks.io slash stew. Use my link, do some real research there. It's masterworks.io slash stew. You can see the important regulation and disclosures on the Masterworks website. Masterworks.io slash stew. YouTube.com slash Stu Does America. Get your Stu Plus. Uh, we're going to have some new live broadcasts coming up. Probably tomorrow we're going to have one. So go there, subscribe, click the bell. Don't miss it. Uh, you can go to uh, Stu Does Merch as well to get the Stu Plus mug. Uh, David writes, Douglas Murray was on, uh, great on this episode. I really enjoyed the interview. That was Friday's show. Don't miss it with Douglas Murray. He was really good on his new book. Hmm, Stu, have you ever read about King Solomon and the two moms, one baby? Nobody's really happy with the compromise. Yeah, very true. That doesn't always work out so well. The middle ground is called Give It Back to the States. If you want to cut the baby up in your womb, go to the states without morals, California, New York, and Virginia. That's true. I mean, like in a world where we were in the middle, that's what it would be like overturning Roe versus Wade. We've been living in this left-wing utopia for so long, we forget what that looks like. By the way, the middle ground is not acceptable. We need to go further. Uh, and then that last one, uh, ask a leftist if trans unborn lives matter. Oh, their heads would explode. <laughs> 
You've, you've, had, you've had two narratives run into each other in the intersection. You don't want to see that happen. Everybody gets hurt in that situation. It's our 500th episode coming up this week, so send me a 500th episode present. Click like, share this, get somebody else to subscribe. We'd really appreciate it. We will see you tomorrow.